Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles, and I'm going to read from Luke chapter 19. Of course, this is very familiar. And being Palm Sunday, Luke 19, starting at verse 35. I'm actually not going to preach from this text. But it's a springboard, if you know what I mean. Okay, starting at verse 35. Then they brought him to Jesus. That is the, the donkey, the, the colt. They brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as they went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Just think about that. People were rejoicing, shouting hallelujah. They were so excited. And yet, in the midst of all of this rejoicing, Jesus is weeping. Can you just picture that. And he said, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surrounding you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Well, I've entitled this message, The Reception, although I'm, I've, I, I don't know if that's the best, the best title. I, I think a better title would be The Rejection. Because... I mean, today is Palm Sunday, obviously, and this is the beginning of the week, but by the time the end of the week comes, those that received Jesus to hallelujahs were shouting, crucify him. There have been many rejections over the years. I don't know about you. Do you remember standing at school and picking teams? <laughs> I was always last. <laughs> I just felt rejection, right? I mean, there have been many rejections over the years, some famous ones. I was a late bloomer. I just, just. There were some famous rejections, um, like Bono, The Edge, Larry Mullen Jr., and Adam Clayton were just teenagers when they formed a band in 1976. In 1979, they approached the London-based record company, hoping to sign a deal. They received a brief letter explaining that the band was not suitable for them at present. Not suitable. By the end of the year, under contract with another record company, U2 released 
their first international single. Not really for us at this time. Man, I bet they were kicking themselves. That's a pretty big rejection. Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. <laughs> wow. Steven Spielberg was rejected from the prestigious film school three times. And now that same school has a building named after him. Henry Ford had failed companies and went bankrupt five times. Abraham Lincoln failed in business and in, and in the army. <laughs> he went to war as a captain and came back as a private. He was rejected eight times in his bid to become president, yet now he's considered to be one of the greatest presidents that the United States had ever had. But as as amazing as those rejections are, the, the greatest rejection in history has got to be the rejection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. By his own people, his own people did not recognize him, and Jesus weeps over the city because they did not recognize the time of their visitation. I want to read, uh, I, I want to, look at three things, Old Testament prophecy, uh, the buffet mentality, and the New Testament reality, those three things. And so, the Old Testament, Matthew 23, verse 37, uh, Jesus, um, again, this is the same idea. He sees Jerusalem, Matthew 23, 37. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I have longed to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would have none of it. Jesus and the prophets before him were continually rejected by the people of God. Jesus didn't keep it a secret from his disciples that he would be rejected, was this a new idea, or is there something in the Old Testament prophecies that pointed to the idea that the Jewish Messiah would be rejected? And so we're going to look at three passages from the Old Testament. Uh, first of all, Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verses 22 to 24. And this is what it says. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Did you know that verse came as part of a package? Jesus, after his entry into Jerusalem, his final week, makes a clear reference to Psalm 118. And Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to turn there, Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 42, starting at verse 33, here another parable, this is, remember, this is Jesus' final week, he's in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and religious leaders are looking for a reason to kill him. They're looking for opportunity. They don't like him. They, they, 
think that Jesus is dangerous? Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, and he leased it to vin vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servant, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Jesus is talking about the prophets. Again, he sent another servant, other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will receive my son. Then, last of all, and, but when the vine dressers saw the son, they said amongst themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And so they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? And so they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably. And Lisa's vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Well, that's the chief priests and the elders confronting Jesus while he was teaching. As a matter of fact, it was while he was teaching, they were interrupting and confronting Jesus and really, really trying to find something on him. And then he, he does two parables. He does the parable of the two sons. The one son, he asked both sons to go work in the field, and the one said, no, I'm not going to do it. And, and then he repented later on. Probably didn't even tell his dad. And he went and worked in the field. The other son said, yeah, dad, I'll go work in your field. And he never did it. And so Jesus asked them which son was obedient. Which one did the will of his father? And, and so it, it is stories like this that Jesus told the religious leaders. And at the end of this parable... Uh, about the landowner that had gone, uh, the vine dresser owned this vineyard. He had gone away. At the end of that, Jesus quotes from, from uh, Psalm 118. It was very clear that Jesus understood and was teaching that he had to be rejected. And as a matter of fact, from the Old Testament, it's very clear that the Messiah would have to be rejected by his own people. It was part of God's story. It was, and, and Jesus was explaining that to them. Their Messiah was standing right there in front of them. And they absolutely missed it. What's really awesome is that a couple of months later, Peter and John are brought before the same Jewish leaders that Jesus was confronted by weeks before, right? Or a couple of months before. Why? A lame man from birth was healed through their ministry. And the question, by what power? By what name have you done this? This is Acts chapter 4. And Peter uses the same passage that Jesus uses. And then he says there's no other name under heaven and earth by which men must be saved. Peter quotes from 
he, 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 hey, it worked for Jesus. It's going to work for me. Peter was learning. I love it. But their hearts remained impregnable and unmoved. Second passage, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 24. Well, actually, uh, yeah. So, well, actually, verse 25 and 26, the first part, 26, reads like this. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 weeks. After 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Messiah shall be cut off. What was Daniel saying? The Messiah is going to die. He's going to be killed. And so Daniel was saying that he would be rejected. Now, historically, it is well documented that Jerusalem was completely destroyed in 70 AD, including the temple. As Jesus prophesied, no, not one stone would be left upon another. Still the hearts and the, of the, the vast majority of the Jewish people remain impregnable and unmoved. They are still waiting for their Messiah. Even though the Old Testament clearly said the Messiah would be rejected, they're still waiting. He came. They did not recognize his visitation. Isaiah chapter 53 is the third one. And this is also a well-known passage. Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm going to read some selected verses here. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus will look just like a regular person. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed 
a report. Certainly the Jews didn't believe it. The Jews didn't believe that the Messiah would be that, that the Messiah could be rejected. They absolutely didn't believe that. All I can say is that they denied, denied, denied. As a matter of fact, as you look at chapter 53, the Jews, and I've read some of their material of them trying to explain away Isaiah chapter 53. That this doesn't talk about the Messiah. This is something else. And I look at their material and look at their commentaries and they're so off. It just grieves me. They're still blind. They still don't get it. All as I can, they deny. Many rabbis don't want their people to read Isaiah 53. It's like the forbidden chapter in the Bible. Why? Because it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Yet, again, the vast majority of the people from Israel, their hearts remain impregnable and unmoved. And so those three passages from the Old Testament clearly teach that the Messiah would be rejected and killed. Clearly. Now, what about this buffet mentality? Why did Jesus have to suffer? Jesus was up front with his disciples. He told them that there was no getting around the suffering he would experience. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That's Luke 9.22. Note the word must. Must. He must suffer. He must be killed. Jesus prayed in the garden that if it was possible to skip that part, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus' suffering turned out to be physical, beat up so bad that he was unrecognizable, emotional, all his friends ran from him and even felt forsaken from his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And spiritual, he who, no sin, he who knew no sin became sin for us. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus who had become sin for us. God's wrath was poured out on sin. Jesus became sin for us. He took it for us. So it was poured out on Jesus. At the heart of the matter is that the Hebrews chose only to believe the parts of the Bible that they agreed with. They, they chose to believe only the things that they agreed with and left the rest out, the stuff that was difficult. Okay, let me give you a couple of examples. Isaiah chapter 11, 1 to 9. Isaiah chapter 11, uh, it's really actually quite interesting. Um, the Messiah will be from Jesse, a descendant of David, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. That's verse 4. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a child shall lead them. That's verse 6. This 
is what is supposed to happen when their Messiah comes. And so how can this Messiah be suffering and rejected if this is supposed to happen? Jesus came, and these things didn't happen. Therefore, Jesus can't be our Messiah. That's what they thought. That's what they believe. But here's what I'm, here's what I'm telling you clearly, that you can't take the Bible and use it like a buffet. You can't just pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. Take what you like and leave the rest out. It's all or nothing. The Bible isn't like a buffet. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God, the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. But what did Jesus say? Nation will rise up against nation. Now, is, will this happen? Has this happened? This didn't happen, and then, so they said the Messiah, Jesus was not the Messiah because this didn't happen. Well, what they failed to recognize, now Micah uh, chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3 is almost word for word from what I just read from Isaiah. Uh, we know what's going on. The Messiah is going to come twice. That's what the Jews are missing. And they won't, re they, they're, they're taking and only taking the parts of the Bible that they like, the parts of the Old Testament that they like. And they're saying because Jesus didn't fulfill that, then he's not our Messiah. But what they fail to understand and what they fail because the Holy Spirit isn't, they, they don't have the Holy Spirit with them, it is what they fail to understand is that Jesus came to suffer and die and he's coming back again. And when he comes back again, these other prophecies will come true. He will fulfill these other things. And at that point, that's when the Jews will see their Messiah. They will understand what has happened, and there will be weeping like never before. They will weep because all of a sudden they will recognize we did miss the visitation What the religious leaders of Jesus' day and what the Jews are still doing is that Messiah's coming twice. Luke 17, verses 20 to 25. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 25. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees what, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, it's not a physical thing. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And then he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. 
And they will say to you, look here and look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to another part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by, the, by this generation. Okay, Jesus is talking about two comings right there in those passages. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be like when the Son of Man comes. Now, see, Jesus is saying very clearly, but first the Son of Man must be rejected. And so this time of the kingdom, when the kingdom comes, isn't yet. Not the first time, not his first coming. His first coming was to deal with sin and to be rejected and to be killed so that you and I could be included in the second kingdom. Amen? The kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. It is within you. Jesus is telling them that God's kingdom wasn't going to be like they expected. They expected that Jesus was going to take them out of Roman rule. Rid the Romans. We, we, can, we can be in charge. Some translations say... It is among you. In other words, the kingdom was right here in the person of Jesus. Right? The kingdom's right here. I, I'm right here, right in the middle of you, and you don't recognize me. So Jesus was saying. But first he must suffer many things by this generation. Here's a relevant question for you and I. Do we treat the word of God like a buffet? Do we? I'm afraid one youth pastor put it well. He said, at some point in our spiritual growth, we have to stop treating God's word like a buffet, picking and choosing what we want to believe is right for us, surrender to the full sovereignty of God. Surrender to the full sovereignty of God. You know, I've thought about making a list. <laughs> what, what we like picking and choosing out of the word of God what's good for us and what we, eh, I, I don't like that, so I'm going to leave that one alone. Um, I, and, and I could make a list, but I don't know, I'd just get hot and bothered and angry, and then Satan would have a field day. Um, I'll just challenge you with this. If you're allowing attitudes and actions in your life that are contrary to the Word of God, because you think the word of God is outdated or because your friends think differently, you need to get down on your knees and repent. We need to take a stand and we need to accept God's word for what it is. God doesn't change and his word doesn't change. It's not outdated. It speaks right to my heart and I think it speaks to yours. The New Testament reality. So how was Jesus actually received in the New Testament? The Old Testament told us that the Messiah would be rejected. Jesus said that he would suffer and be rejected. The Jews refused to believe that their king, their Messiah, would suffer. And so they had a big part to play in that rejection. The New Testament is actually swollen with examples of Jesus' rejection. Jesus being rejected. Well, Herod tried to kill him first off. All right? I thought, what? A, a king is born? 
no, 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 I'm the king. And he had everybody under two years old killed in the area of Bethlehem. Jesus visited Nazareth, his hometown, Mark chapter 6, the people of his hometown. They were astonished at his teaching. We know this guy. Where did he get all this stuff from? We grew up with him. And, and this, is, this is, I mean, how did he get all of this wisdom? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Jose, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? And so they were offended at him. Mark 6, 3. Later, after he'd read a passage from Isaiah, they took him outside of town, intending them, they, they intended to kill him, throw him off a cliff. Good grief. Jesus was rejected in his own town. There were a number of cities, including Capernaum, that Jesus pronounced woes to because Jesus had done mighty works there and they did not repent in response to what they had seen. And they liked the miracles but rejected Jesus' teaching. Speaking of the mighty works Jesus did in Capernaum, Jesus said Sodom would have repented and still have been around today had they seen the works that you guys saw in your town. John chapter 6, Jesus said some pretty difficult things. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Once again, Jesus is rejected. Luke chapter 9, a Samaritan village rejected Jesus because he was heading to Jerusalem. James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven to consume them. <laughs> Love their passion. It just needed to be redirected a little bit. Jesus re was rejected because he was heading to Jerusalem. And then Palm Sunday you know, the same crowd that shouted Hosanna on Sunday shouted crucify him on Friday. To this day, Jesus is rejected in Judaism as a false prophet and a failed Messiah claimant. It is asserted that no Jew accepts Jesus as a Messiah. When someone makes that faith commitment, they become Christian, and it's not possible for someone to be both Christian and Jewish. And so they, they're outcasts in their own community. And as the Bible said what happened, the Messiah would suffer and die. I like how Don Stewart puts it. He said, though there were many factors that led to Jewish people, led the Jewish people to reject Jesus as the Messiah, it can be stated simply they did not believe in him because they did not want to believe. It is the same reason most people throughout history have rejected Jesus as Messiah. It is not that they cannot believe. It is that they would not believe. It is not that people need more evidence. It is that they do not act upon the evidence that they have already. 
Probably the most obvious indication of their willful rejection of Jesus as their Messiah was the Jewish leader's intention to kill Lazarus. In the presence of the religious rulers, Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. He'd been dead for four days. And you think that such a miracle at least make them, uh, you know, reconsider the idea that Jesus maybe really was who he said he was. I mean, none of us could raise anybody from the dead. Certainly, we should give this some idea, you know, some thought, some consideration. But according to their own testimony, Jesus did many undeniable signs. They had an emergency meeting. And their conclusion, we must kill Jesus. From that day on, they plotted to put him to death. John eleven fifty three. Now, I, I, the details of this meeting are, is really amazing. Have you ever been to a meeting where one person says something and it kind of changes the direction of the whole meeting? And that's what happened here. I remember when I was pastoring up north, the, the ladies came up with an idea. They wanted to raise some money. They didn't need the money, but they wanted to raise the money. Um, because somebody had made this beautiful homespun, you know, a quilt, really nice, out of uh, wool. And so this was homespun, and it was, it was beautiful, very, uh, very time-consuming. And so they came to the church board with the idea of, of, of having a raffle to, you know, to make some money to... And I did, I... So just, <laughs> I did, I'm just whacking my head, and I'm what are you guys thinking? It's like, what church should be involved with gambling? It's like, that's, that's, I mean, you don't even need the money. Anyway, and, and so, and so I came to, and, and the problem, the problem was that the church board, it was some of their wives, right, that we came up with this idea, and, and they're all, you know, they're all sitting there and, and not saying anything, and there's this one guy, and I, and I'm, it's like I'm, it's like I'm preaching and teaching and just giving my best effort and I'm just not getting anywhere and they're just not getting it and they're just not there's just no movement whatsoever and they're it's like well what's the big deal you know and and it's I said we can't be a part of this and finally finally after after I'd suffered they made me suffer for a long time after I'd suffered for a long time one man who is on the board of a, of a Bible school, was on our board. And he said, you know, he said that would never fly at the Bible school. They would never have anything to do with anything like that that would be considered gambling. And that was the end of the story. That changed everything. One man said something. Now, John chapter 11 this is this emergency meeting they had, uh, and, and it's really quite something, verses 47 to 53. And so they had this emergency meeting, right? And then the chief priest, starting at verse 47, and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. See, they're admitting that Jesus does miracles. If we let him alone... Like this, everyone will believe on him. 
And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Okay, notice that. Take away our place. They were thinking of themselves, their elevated place within the Roman society. Now, um, and then one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. So this is that one man that stood up in, my, in our board meeting. This is that moment. Don't you guys know anything? Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. One moment in an emergency meeting where somebody stood up and at that moment, not that he was a believer, but the Spirit of God gave him an, a word that he shared with that council and it changed the whole meeting. One man has to die that the whole nation would be saved. And not only the nation, but those gathered from outside, you and I. We were part of that prophecy. It's really quite amazing. God uses the hardness of their hearts to accomplish his will. Well, do you remember when Jesus was born? <laughs> I know you weren't there. Okay. Some of you might be old enough. No, okay. Kidding. No. Uh, am I the, am I the one of the older ones here? I guess okay. <laughs> Jesus was brought to the temple to be presented to the Lord. Simeon saw them at the temple. He met them there. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he saw the Messiah in person. Can you imagine the scene? Simeon had been waiting his entire life for this. And now that moment had arrived. He took baby Jesus in his arms and he prophesied and blessed the Lord. And then he told Mary, he took her aside and he said these words, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. The falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that would be spoken against Okay, Jesus was going to be opposed. He was going to be rejected. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's Luke 2, 34 and 35. The simple truth is that Jesus had to be rejected. There was no other way. There was no other way. God the Son, the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, left heavenly glory to be rejected and killed for the salvation of those who mocked him. They cried, crucify him, yet love does not give up on rejectors. Including his brothers. Remember? His brothers didn't even believe in him. That's a big rejection right there when your family just turns your back, turns their back on you. Love goes out to rejectors, modeling what it means to love and to forgive and to accept. 
The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, the chief cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus was rejected so that you and I could be uh, uh, accepted. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. And although it's hard for us to hear, and none of us like to be rejected, Jesus, you were rejected so that we could be accepted. We celebrate that. And even the word celebrate seems weak. But Father, I pray that um, I pray that as that we would stand with you and stand for you. Just because you were rejected in the past doesn't mean that we can reject you now. Father, help us by your Holy Spirit to stand. In Jesus' name, amen.